Amen, amen. Yeah, give God some praise for the worship today. As we pray today, this morning. I want to go to John chapter 13, beginning at verse 33. As we go there today. This is what the Word of God says. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I thank you for this service. I pray that you fix my, my sound, Lord, and that you would help me to preach this morning. That you would help us, Lord, to just learn and apply this teaching to our daily life, Lord. Father, I thank you for the series that you've put in my heart to love greater. And as we finish this series this morning, Lord, help us to really, truly apply all of it for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys can have a seat for a moment there. As we get into the Word of God this morning, I want to ask you a question. Yeah, there's a lot of feedback. You just tell All right. As we get into the Word of God this morning, let me light this candle for a second. But before I do this, I want you to think about this. How many of you plan to die? All of us? How many of you know how you're going to die? None of us. What will you be doing when you die? We don't know. But if you knew that you had a few days left, a few weeks left, how would you spend your life? What would be different? What would be important? What would change? But here's what I really want to ask you. What advice would you give others? When you think about your life, like I like this match right now, it has a purpose, it does what it needs to do, but before you know it, it begins to slowly burn out, it begins to dim, it gets closer and closer, and that's what you and I are like. In time, we begin to fade. Your bones hurt more. You get grayer. You don't move as quick. And there comes a time that it ends. That didn't even take a minute. That's how quick life is. God said life is just but a breath. Take a deep breath. Let it out. That's how quick in the eyes of God your life is. It's just seconds. 
Now, what advice would you give people? What would be on your mind in your last moments? If you were, for example, Elvis, in your last moments, you'd say, I have to go to the bathroom, his last words. I have to go to the bathroom, and he never came out. If you were Jack Daniels, his last words was, I need another drink. If you're Joe DiMaggio, your last moments and your last words, his was, I hope I see Marilyn Monroe. Bob Marley's last moments, he said, I realize money can buy me life. And that money is not real happiness. If you're Steve Jobs, billionaire of Apple, he died with such a fear and panic, they said. His eyes opened with fear, and he said, Oh, wow! Oh, wow! Oh, wow! With fear. And died. When Jesus had his last moments, the words that come out of your mouth would really just show you what your whole life is about. When Jesus had his life just fading away, when he knew at 33 it was about to be over, he would fulfill his destiny, go on the cross and die for your sins. During his last few days and weeks, his last moments, the words of advice he gave to his disciple, he needed to make sure it was important, it was valuable. He needed to make sure his advice would carry on from generation to generation. He wanted to make sure that his disciples would be blessed and successful, that the ministry would be strong. And this is what Jesus said. He simply told them, love one another. That's it. Of everything Jesus could have said, he chose the topic of love. Could it be that if you learn how to love, it can truly change your life forever? If you learned how to truly love like Jesus did, it can bless you, it can make you successful, it can prosper you, it can truly give your family and your marriage and your whole life the strength that it needs if you simply would learn how to love. Jesus will look at his disciples and he would say, love one another. He didn't say, hey, make sure you pray. Make sure you read the Bible. Make sure you go to church. So all of that is important. But see, Jesus made sure to remind them to love one another. Just as I have loved you. What's so phenomenal about this passage is that when Jesus said this, he said this to the 12 disciples. And when he said this to his 12, when you look at them, they're all so different. When you look at all the disciples, they all came from different walks of life, different social and economic backgrounds. 
Some of them were, were doctors, others were fishermen, others were religious and studied the Word of God, and others were just governmental people and workers and were all about the government and taxes. And yeah, yeah, those people. But listen, all of them were different. It's fascinating that Jesus would tell a bunch of people who have nothing in common to love one another. Especially Peter, James, and John. Those are the ones that were closest to Jesus. Did you know that Peter, he was always very opinionated, outspoken, and very hard on himself? Did you know that John had a temper? You know, John was real loyal. But the Bible, Jesus nicknamed him Thunder. Because he was like thunder. You didn't know when it was going to come. But when it did, you knew. It went boom. He had a short temper. He struggled a little bit with his temper. All the disciples were so different. And yet Jesus said, love one another. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, it doesn't matter how different you are. You can love one another. You are capable of love even when you're so different. When I sit down with couples and I do counseling with them, premarital or post-divorce or anything, it'll be, it will shock you how many people want to end it and they tell me, Pastor, we're just so different. What, you discovered that only after you got married? No, we just don't see eye to eye. We're just opposite. This can't work. But see, Jesus told a bunch of guys that were completely opposite of each other to love. So it doesn't matter how different you are. You are very capable of a greater love when you learn to embrace the differences of one another and not fight against it. So Jesus told his disciples, before I leave, I want to make sure you guys know to love one another. And when Jesus spoke about love, that word love, he was literally saying, make the decision because love is a conscious decision. A choice to unconditionally pursue the well-being of that other person. In spite of how you feel or think. Love will always seek the best for that other person in spite of any emotion you may have. Love is not emotionally driven. It is driven by choice. And that choice aligns with the Word of God. So you choose to love. And when you choose to love, you can enable this idea that you can make it work. We can work together. But see, there is a lot of relationships. There's a lot of marriages. There's a lot of friendships. There's a lot of family members and even churches that feel and agree that they cannot work together because we're so 
different. We think different. We act different. We handle things different. But the truth is, opposites were made to attract. That's how God designed us. But one of the biggest lies you can tell yourself and even believe is, I just can't work with them. We're just too different. But today we're able to preach the gospel. Today the gospel is preached all around the world. Because these disciples prove to us that in spite of how different you may do things, how different you may act, how different you may feel, how different your personality, no matter how different you are, you can work together. And you can work together when you learn to love the way God did. When God said love one another, biblical love is a decision, not a choice. When you look at the word love in the Bible, it has many translations in the Greek. One of the words for love is the word phileo, where we get brotherly love, friendship. But here's the problem with friendship. It's conditional. You have a friend because you like them. You have a friend because they agree with you. You have a friend because you match in personalities or you just tend to really grow on each other. That's a conditional thing because the second that friend crosses the line, the second that friend messes up, you unfriend them. Some of you... You used to have friends that you don't even talk to anymore. Why is that? Because friendship is conditional. When Jesus said love one another, he did not use the word phileo. Had he, he would have said, hey, love one another, but if they cross the line, forget them. If they hurt your feelings, abandon them. God is not seeking for us to love like friends. Another word for love is arios, where we get the word erotic from. This is pleasure. And I hear couples tell me, hey, we just don't love each other anymore. We say, well, why is that? Well, it just doesn't feel the same. And love is not pleasure. Well, if I feel good and it feels right, I'll, I'll stay in love. But if it doesn't, I'm out. If Jesus would have used the word arios, we would have had a feel-good gospel. If you feel it, do it. If you don't, don't. If you love one another, but only if you feel like it, but if you don't feel like it, don't. Jesus chose the word agape. And agape is a decision in spite of what you go through, in spite of how I feel. I'm choosing to commit myself to your well-being. That's what Jesus said when he said, love one Another. The truth is, you can work together. You can make it work. Let me give you this example. It's like alcohol and water, completely different. Some of you, this is what you look like. This is your marriage. You're just so different. I think about my parents. They're so different. 
How many years now? 43 years. Did I mention they are so different? Personality, interest, everything. My dad, he's a morning person. He's up and wants everyone to be up with him. He's jittery in the morning. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go this. And my mom, she wakes up. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Haven't had my coffee. My dad, when we go grocery shopping, he's social. He likes people. People know him by name. By the time my dad will leave a store, he'll have everyone's business. My mom, just there to shop. Just there to shop. Different. But working it. Some of the closest friendships in church are different. My mom's friends with Maria. Have you met Maria? How do they work? It's Trump's, I love you, Maria. But they're so, and I look at when they're on the phone, I'm like, how? You know, I, I think about Juan and Cookie, how many years? 30? Different! I've known him a few weeks, a few months actually, and I, different. But our society has convinced us. Different can't work. It's like alcohol and water. You see, if, if I would grab this dollar right now and put it in this alcohol, and it just makes contact with fire, it completely destroys God. If I would submerge it in water, it would completely burn out the flame. But what if I got the alcohol? What if I got the water? And I mixed it together? What if they came together? What's interesting about this is it makes contact with that same fire, but it doesn't burn. You know what happened there? You guys went, what? Water has a completely different personality than alcohol. Completely polar opposite. The, when the alcohol was on its own, it destroyed the dollar. If the water did it on its own, it would burn out the flame. You know why so many relationships are being destroyed? Because we want to do it independently. We don't want your help. You know why so many relationships, the fire has burned out? It's because you don't want that other person's help. You want to do it on your own. What's interesting is that when you bring them together 
they actually work together. There's a natural chemical reaction that they actually do not overpower one another, but combine each other and work together so that even though it goes through a fire, it survives. And a lot of people, a lot of relationships do not survive the fires of life because you try to overpower one another rather than come together and help one another because I have a God that says embrace and help and serve one another. But see, it becomes about me. Only me. The alcohol overpowered and it got destroyed. Maybe this is why you're destroying your family or you're destroying your marriage or this is why churches get destroyed because you want to just overpower and control everything. And there's a lot of controlling people in relationships now. They have to do what I say. They have to act how I act. They have to please me. They have to do it my way. And you try to overpower them. When you speak to them, you make sure you drown them out. It's a very selfish, self-centered, overpowering attitude that will destroy your relationships. So you want to do it your way. You want to overpower. You want to say, I have control. But it doesn't work that way. Like the water, there's so many relationships that are just burning out. The love is not the same. We've lost our spark. We've lost our fire. The truth is, when the alcohol and the water said to each other, okay, we're different. You're a bit strong. Well, you're kind of bland. Well, you're a little overbearing. Yeah, but I can see right through you. We're just so different. But the alcohol said, I wish you were more like me. Well, if I was, everything would be destroyed. Well, I wish you were more like me. Well, if I was, everything would burn out. But I'm not going to try to make you like me. I'm going to embrace you for who you are. And let's work together. And when you work together, and you find that balance. It's amazing how many fires you'll get through. Because 1 Peter 4.12 says this. Do not be surprised. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you're suffering. That word painful is a Greek word that literally means fire. So what, what Paul is saying here, and Peter, sorry, is saying, don't be surprised by the fire that suddenly come. Problems are going to come in every shape and size. Problems come to every relationship. Problems come to marriage. Problems come to friendships. Problems enter churches. Problems go through families. There are family fires. There are marital fires. There are friendship fires. There are church fires. There are fires upon fires that will consume your life. But see, the difference is that you can either survive it and not cause it to destroy you, or you can get through it. How? Like the water and alcohol. You work together. 
you work together. What Peter is saying here, expect fires. Expect that your marriage is not always going to be passionate. Expect that you're going to fight. You're going to disagree. Fires are going to come. You need to expect that your families are going to go through fiery trials. You're going to go through fiery trials with your children. They're going to enter seasons and phases in life that's going to feel like a fire and it's painful and you don't know what to do. As a church, we need to expect fires. We need to understand that sometimes problems are going to come. Like, hey, all of a sudden, you can't meet here anymore. You need to move. That's a fire we've gone through several times. But what do we do? We make it work. We work together. We enter relationship thinking, if I marry the right person, we'll never fight. We go into churches and we think, well, if I go to a church that everyone's really spiritual, we'll never argue. We have this idea that there's such thing as a relationship that never goes through fire. And sadly, when the fire comes, many relationships don't survive. When the fire comes, many relationships get destroyed. Because they refuse to balance. They want to overpower and do it their way. And I've never met any couple or any relationship that says, ever since I took control and overpowered her and did it my way, our marriage has been so much more blessed. I've never met a person that says, Hey, I'm just going to not do things. Let's not balance it out. Let's just do it my way. And it's going to work. We get into these relationships trying to make the other person just like us. And this is why, sadly, so many relationships get destroyed. And we don't survive. The reason that the disciples were able to go through so much trials and fires and tribulations is because they worked together. Oh, they were different. They had different personalities. But you have a choice to make. If you want to love greater, I'm either going to work with you or work against you. And when you work against them and you try to overpower, I want you to remember that flame. It's just going to destroy your relationship. If you try to overpower, you're just going to burn out the fire. But if you learn to embrace each other's differences, you learn to embrace where you lack, they meet. You can actually make it work. That's why today there's such a high rate of divorce. Because my generation wants it perfect. We want to get married, but we want the house already. We want the career already. We want the bank account with money already. We want everything set up, then we'll get married. We have my generation is a generation that moves in together without being married. Why? Because we need to test it out. But the generation I mentioned that's going 30, 40, 50 plus years are the generation that were flat broke when they got married. 
They're just a generation that says that we didn't know how we were going to eat. We ate tuna. We ate out of a can. We don't know how we were going to pay bills. They didn't even have a job. We made it work, though. See, my generation says it needs to be nice to, to work. The past generation said it doesn't matter how nice or not nice it is, we're going to make it work. My generation doesn't like leftovers. The past generation got leftovers and made it work and turned it to something else. Monday's pot roll became Tuesday's tacos. Wednesday's, you know, it, it, they made it work. But my generation says, no, I want someone just like me. My generation swipes and says they need to have my interest. Do what I do. Like what I like. Pastor, we're so in love. Why are you? We're so the same. Why would you want someone like you? Have you seen yourself? But this is what we believe will make love work as long as we're the same. I want to go to a church where everyone's like me. You know what that's called? A boring church. I want someone just, just like me. But here's the problem. God created us all different and wired us all different. But we have so many relationships that are destroyed today who don't survive the fires of life because we try to overpower one another. We don't want to balance. And here's the key. We don't want to embrace each other's differences. We try to change them. Jesus said, love one another. He did not say, be like one another. Let me say that one more time because it was that good. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus never said, be like one another. Jesus never said, you have to be the same to make it work. No, Jesus said, even though you're different, embrace it and you will make it work. We are so frustrated making that other person just like us. I wish they were outgoing like me. I wish they were as organized as me. I wish we shared the same interest. I wish they were a morning person. Well, I wish she was a night person. The organized person says he's too messy. The messy person says, well, she's a neat freak. And we fight against each other. What? You want it? You say, oh no, I'm going to overpower. I'm going to make sure he becomes organized. I'll never be organized. Never. But I'm glad I'm with someone that is. And we get surprised when we're married. We get surprised because we get, I can't believe this. You knew that getting into it. But you know why you got into it? Because you thought you could change it. And you didn't embrace it. Love is greater. Where we embrace where we're different. We get frustrated, tired, discouraged, depressed. We give up trying so hard to make them just like you. Trying so hard. Instead of embracing where we're different. Genesis 2.18 God said it's not good for a man to be alone. 
Women can be alone. You're fine. Man. Yeah, I'm going there. Okay. It's interesting. I've seen it a lot as a pastor. When a wife dies, dude has another woman like in months. When the husband dies, she never remarries. They're just there by themselves. Fine. I'm fine. I got my kids. I got my puppy. I got this. I'm fine. God said, hey, it's not good for a man to be alone. Loneliness is not good. God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. So God looked down to earth from heaven and said, oh, we got, we got a, a situation here. Adam's alone. And God began to speak and said, let's, let's make... It's not good that he's alone. I'll make a helper that's suitable for him. And what's interesting about this verse is that when Adam and Eve got together, they were completely opposite. God made Adam and Eve so different. God didn't say, I'm going to make someone just like Adam because Adam did not need another Adam. He needed a helper. Why did Adam need help? Because there were certain areas in his personality and in his life and character he lacked. So God put Eve in his life to meet those areas where he lacked because Eve also had areas where she lacked that Adam had. They balanced one another. Therefore, if you embrace each other's differences, you find the balance and you don't overpower one another and you make it work. We're all wired different. But let me make this clear. There is no peace trying to make them just like you. And I see this all the time in relationships. But the healing and the strength that a relationship needs takes place when you begin to celebrate each other's differences. But let me be clear. You don't celebrate anything immoral, harmful, or ungodly. Immoral, harmful, ungodly behavior should never be tolerated in any relationship. If a man abuses you, leave. You have to realize, you don't say, well, pastor said it, embrace the differences. No! If it's harmful, immoral, and ungodly, do not celebrate that. But if the differences is in an area that's not ungodly, harmful, or immoral, embrace it. How do I embrace it? Do I just tell them, good job, you're messy. You pig, I love you. How do you embrace it? By helping them. By helping them in that area where they're lacking. Embracing doesn't insult. Embracing doesn't say, I can't believe you're like this. I can't believe you're like this. I can't believe you're so different. I can't stand it. Embrace doesn't insult. When you embrace someone's different side, you tend to just be encouraged to help them. To come alongside, because God said, be a suitable helper. 
See, God has called you. I'm going to set you free right now in the name of Jesus. God has called you to be a helper. A helper. But see, we get into a relationship and we say, how can you help me? How can you serve me? How can you bless me? But God said, no, go into it embracing the areas where you're different. Opposites attract because God made it that way. Opposites attract because God has ordained it that way. What I love about Jesus, and I I haven't even got into the E yet. I don't even... I'll tell you what the E stands for now. You guys ready for the E? Uh-oh. The best is for last. Verse 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have what? Love You know what I love about Jesus? He never demanded or commanded something that he wasn't willing to do himself. You know what happens in a lot of messed up relationships? We have high expectations for that other person we're not even willing to meet. We come with demands we're not willing to do. You know what that's called in the Bible? Hypocrisy. There's a lot of hypocrites in marriage right now. There's a lot of hypocritical friends. There's a lot of hypocritical churches. There's a lot of hypocritical families. Why? Because there's a lot of people expecting you to do something they haven't done themselves or won't. Jesus was able to say, love them because, well, I did it first. But we have a culture that says, no, you do it first, then I'll do it. And God says, no, you do it first, and then they'll do it. Why? Because Jesus is letting you know what the E stands for. Ready? Example. Love stands for exemplify. You need to be the example of what you are requiring of that other person. How do you feel about that? I don't like it. You need to exemplify what you demand. You need to exemplify what you desire. It's so astounding to me how a very disrespectful person wants his wife to be respectful. Or how an unkind man wants his wife to be kinder. Or an unkind wife wants her husband to be kinder. It's so crazy how children, they want their parents to understand them more, but yet you don't want to understand your parents. It's so amazing that parents tell their children, you need to be godlier when they're not. We live in a world that demands and says, I want this, I need that, I'm setting the bar high. What about you? No, don't expect me to do it. You do it first. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to love first to give you the example and you will follow. So you don't wait to be a respectful person to respect you. You don't wait for them to respect you first to then say, okay, now I'll be respectful. Now I'll be kind. Now I'll be giving. 
Now I'll meet their needs. Now I'll be nicer. Now I'll be more, you know, respectful, loving, giving. I'll be more patient. Why? Well, because now they did it for me. Love exemplifies. Love is an example. Have, are you guilty of expectations you're not willing to meet? Are you guilty of demanding something that you're not living yourself? Because this is the problem with a lot of relationships, why love doesn't grow greater, is because we're one-sided and we say, no, I want them to do it for me, but I'm not going to do it for them. But if you would choose to be the example, you may encourage them and motivate them to do it right back. You guys getting this this morning? Because God says, I want you to love just like I have loved you. Jesus never demanded something he wasn't willing to do himself. But sadly, so many people, my favorite ones, man, I don't know what's wrong, but I sat down with a guy once for premarital counseling. And in front of his future wife, he says, she better not get fat. Oh, no, I'm he literally said that to me. She better not get fat. Right in front of her. You know what the ironic thing is? He's fat. He said, she better look good all the time. I want her to wear makeup. I want her to be fit. I want, what about you? He was like, you know, disgusting man. But see, we, we set the bar where we're not willing to reach. And that form of hypocrisy is what's destroying relationships. So Jesus says, I want you to do something that I know I've exemplified. So whatever it is you're looking for in that relationship, ask yourself, am I doing it myself? Whatever it is you desire from that friendship, your family, that person, that spouse, ask yourself, examine yourself, am I living it myself? If not, how dare we demand something from someone we're not willing to do ourselves? Greater love is an example. You want your children to follow God, they need to see you follow God. You want your spouse to be more respectful and loving and caring and patient? You be more loving, respectful, patient, or whatever else I said. We need to exemplify what we desire. Jesus desired them to love one another, but notice what Jesus desired from them. He did himself. Titus 2, 7 through 8. This was written to a church that says, And everything... Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. You know what? You cannot expect that other person to do something and you're not doing it. You know why? Because they will condemn you for it. They will say, how dare you ask me to do that when you never do it? How dare you want that for me when you're not willing to do it? 
How dare you desire that from us when you're not willing to do it? They will condemn you. Because there is nothing worse than teaching something you're not living. So Paul wrote this to Titus and said, make sure that whatever you're teaching, buddy, you are an example of. Because even though their ears might be closed, their eyes are always open. They may not want to listen to you, but they're watching you. It's scary that your kids are watching you. It's scary that unbelievers, non-believers are watching you. It's frightening that your spouse is watching you. Jesus knew his disciples were watching him. I love about what I love about Jesus is something we never do. Jesus didn't say, I want you to love. You, like, just like that time, remember that time, guys, I healed that blind guy? Remember that time that I, I healed that leper? Remember that time I did this? And Oh, remember the bread, the bread and the fish? You remember when people insult me and I did this and I did that? Jesus didn't keep a record of all the right. That's what a lot of people do in relationships. Well, I do this, I do that, I do that, I do that, and you do nothing. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus just lived. He lived in love. Jesus made sure that to love because he knew his disciples were watching him. And in the end of his life, Jesus was able to look at his disciples and say, I want you to love just like I've loved. The disciples didn't question it. The disciples didn't condemn him for that. The disciples didn't criticize him for that because Jesus demanded for them what he did first himself. And if you want love to go greater in your life, you need to be an example of what you desire from that other person. You want the other person in front of you to drive better, but you drive like a maniac. You want your spouse to be like this, but you're not like that at all. Real love exemplifies, doesn't just talk. So when you embrace each other's differences, you do so by not criticizing where they're different, but helping them where they lack. And you help them by being an example of it. You help them by demonstrating what it is you desire. Because greater love is exemplified. Is an example that you give to your kids, your spouse, your friends, your strangers. Let's close with verse 35. Jesus says, by all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, you'll be known by your love. People will know you're my disciple by the way you love. But what's frightening is that Jesus used the word known in the past tense. People will know. They will know when you're gone that you were my disciple. 
and that you love. Let me ask you this profound question. What do you want to be known for? What are you known for in your relationship? I'll, I'll ask you, for, like, I'll give you 10 seconds if you're next to your, your spouse. Ask him right now, what am I known for? The answer might surprise you. If your child is next to you, ask your child, what am I known for? The answer might hurt your feelings. As your pastor, I might want to ask you, what am I known for? I hope the answer is blessing. What are you known for? Are you known for being angry? Are you known for being selfish? Are you known for being controlling? Hot-tempered? Are you known for being rude and arrogant, prideful? Because the way you live your life will determine what you're known for. So you need to make sure that you represent God well. And the greatest place to ever represent God is in the relationship He's blessed you with. And you do that by being an example. So you're different. That's okay. Learn to work together. Because if you begin to say, well, Pastor, I think I'll stop criticizing her. I think I'll stop controlling them. I think I'll help them. And when the fires come, you stay intact. You stay together. It doesn't lose worth. But if you're not willing to be the example, your relationships, you'll treat them worthless. And don't be surprised when the fire burns out, when the relationship is destroyed. Because you'll come to me, you'll say, well, Pastor, it didn't work out. Pastor, we're divorced. Pastor, my children want nothing to do with me. Pastor, it didn't work out. Why? I'll ask you this. Well, what were you known for? What were you known for? If the answer is not good, your relationship will be destroyed. Jesus was known for love. The disciples were known for love. The disciples had a reputation of love. Though they made mistakes, though they failed and had weaknesses, God is not expecting you to be the perfect friend, the perfect parent, or the perfect spouse. He's only requiring you that in your imperfections, you be the example of love. Embrace one another where you're different. Teach them where they lack. Help them where they're weak. And work together in Jesus' name. We all stand to pray, and that concludes our series, Greater Love. Greater love prioritizes. That's L. Greater love overcomes emotions and takes action. That's O. Greater love values one another. That's V. Greater love exemplifies. That's E. That's love. Let me pray for you this morning.
you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I'm known for anger. I'm known for selfishness. I'm known for being rude, prideful. I'm known to lose my temper. I've known to make mistakes that destroy my relation. I'm known. And the last thing I believe I'm known for is love. I have not prioritized. I have been overcome by evil and not overcome the evil with good. I have not valued that person. And God, I have not been the example I've needed to be. I have demanded, I have overpowered, I have controlled, but I have never exemplified. That's you. God wants you to know it's not too late. Greater love is very possible if you apply these four principles to your life. But I believe the greatest of all of them is love, God said. But love requires priority, overcoming, value, and example. You're guilty of saying, Pastor, I need to love more in my example. I'm not there yet. Where every head bow, every eye closed, no one's watching. Just put your hands up there for a second. The act of confession, say, I need to exemplify more. God bless you all of you there in the back. I'll see you guys. It's okay. Put your hands I'm going to pray that you leave church this morning. Living what you desire. You desire more respect, live it. You desire more patience, live it. You desire more love, live it. You desire more affection, live it. Whatever you desire, exemplify it first. Watch how it changes your relationship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today's word. Father, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior. Your word says that greater love has no one than this and someone that will lay down his life. You realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross because he truly loved you. Jesus L prioritized you. Jesus O overcame sin for you. You ask why? Because Jesus B he valued you in spite of your sin. And he demonstrated this by being E, an example, on the cross. And the Bible says, if any man believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, he will be saved. You want to invite Jesus Christ in your life. Maybe you've been the one overpowering, taking control, but there is no greater peace than giving the Lord ownership of your life. He loves you. He's forgiven you of your sins. If this is you today, you say, Pastor, I'm making this decision to give my life to Jesus, to ask Him to forgive me of my sins and save me. Would you put that hand up today so I can pray with you and I'll pray with the rest of you, Pastor. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm a born-again believer. But I also know that I am not known for love. I have been more impatient, rude, Prideful, controlling, angry. 
And we all need to pray for this. Jesus, thank you for this work. Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I bind any evil that's preventing this person to love. Father, give us the eyes that can see the value in order for us to exemplify. Let us be the example of love. Let us be the example of what we desire. Forgive us, Lord, for demanding what we are not willing or doing ourselves. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name for any person, any relationship, any family, friendships, marriage, any single person that right now is going through a fire. May them work together, Lord. Let them work together to balance each other, to get through it, to stay whole, to stay intact. And we thank you for this greater love, Jesus. Help us now to live by it in Jesus' name. We all give God some praise this morning. Say amen. Amen. Amen.